Well, I'd like to talk to you today about teachers. And I want you to think back in your mind. Who is your favorite teacher or coach and why? But right now, I just want to ask you, who was your favorite teacher? And what about that teacher made that person your favorite teacher? What characteristics about that teacher made that teacher your favorite? Any characteristics? Love. Nurturing. Patience. Anyone else? Pardon? Creative. Someone else said something? I didn't just catch it. Kind. Yeah, I've heard in previous uh, sermons, previous messages, enthusiasm, uh, dedication, caring, all those sorts of things. So think back in your mind a teacher who you um, were very fond of, who touched you in a very unique way, uh, their gifts and skills. Uh, sorry about the two coaches there, I just couldn't resist, all right? Who's your favorite coach? Never mind, I'm not going to get into that subject, okay? So I want to talk today a little bit about the greatest teacher, and the greatest teacher, of course, is the Lord, our Savior. Jesus is not only a true man, true God, but he's a, he was a blessed teacher as well. And here in the gospel, it said that, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth, you're not swayed by people. So here we, we see four great characteristics of a teacher. First of all, a person of integrity. You remember integrity is words and actions. They meet. Uh, what, what a person says and does is what they do and they say is the same thing. It's integrity. According to the way of God. So there's all those, the, the nurturing and the caring and the loving and the dedication and commitment, all those things that you have mentioned. Uh, you teach in truth. And truth is I'm able to grasp knowledge and reality and wisdom, and I'm able to take the details and paint a picture of truth. And notice, and you're not swayed by people. You're not into a popularity contest. No offense, you're not very political. Um, you say what is right, and you do what is right. You're not swayed. You're not going to do something wrong because you're, um, you're not going to do something wrong um, because you think it's going to please some people, or uh, you might not be admonished. So Jesus, the master teacher, and there you can see those four things, integrity, the way of God, truth, and um, Stick to your guns. Do what is right. Well, today, I'd like to talk to you about another teacher and teacher that has influenced us, uh, another great teacher, Martin Luther. And uh, I can say Reformation's in the air. And uh, so, to me, we're sort of in the 500th anniversary. We're sort of in that period of the Reformation. Five, <clears throat> excuse me, 500 years ago, what happened. So, let me just go through some things with you and messages I have preached about the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So in 1517, or 2017, the nailing of the 95 Theses, uh, then there was a message I gave, a Lutheran sermon on grace in 1518. Uh, last year, I gave that here, Luther's defense of the Leipzig debate, 1519. And here in 1520, we talk about like Serge Domini, what is that, and three classical Luther's writings. So I'm going to stick with sort of the 500th anniversary theme of the Reformation. And today we're going to focus on those four things. Serge Domini, and three classical Luther writings. We'll get to that soon. Um, anyone identify what is that? What's a symbol above? Anyone know what that's called? Luther's. Luther's what? That's Luther's seal. Okay. So let's do a little quick Luther, Luther quiz. First one. What information greatly assisted the Reformation? All right. One, the 5G iPhone. Two, the Vegematic Slicer. Anyone own one of those? Okay. Three, the Guillotine. Okay. Or four, the Printing Press. Which one? 
Actually, uh, that was invented a couple decades before the Reformation, but that assisted him greatly, okay? Next question. What did Luther nail to the north door? That's a Wittenberg church door on October 31st, 1517. Once again, October 31st is, is uh, All Saints Day Eve, All Hallows Eve. Hallows Eve, we get the word Halloween. So what do you nail up there? Well, A, how to have a winning personality. Uh, two, you can have your best life right now. Three, the 95 Thesis, or four, 10 Steps for Being a Great Monk. Which one? You know it. Say it. 95 Thesis. Got that. Okay. So, the Gutenberg Printing Press, the 95 Thesis. Luther's goal in writing the 95 Thesis was what? To begin his own church and gain his own fame. To reform the church to Scripture and bring it on, a, on his dialogue. Uh, continue his path as a grumpy critic. Or to impress his collegiate peers. Which one? Yeah, Luther never wanted to begin his own church. He wanted to bring his former church into dialogue and bring it back to Scripture. So let's keep with the themes. There's the printing press, there's the 95 Thesis, and bring the church back to Scripture into honest dialogue. And finally, well, here's 1520, some things that happened there, but here, Luther's main argument against the church at that time was it wasn't hip and current enough, uh, it didn't place salvation by grace at the center of its teaching, he didn't like traditions, or he downplayed the justice of God. Which one? He didn't place salvation by grace at the what? Sermon's teaching. So there's some, just some information on the background of the Reformation before we continue. Yeah, so it was that Luther felt that maybe the church at that time placed too much emphasis on the justice of God. And so I want to talk about Martin Luther. His genius was he was the first master of mass communication. Now, of course, there's a picture of the Gutenberg printing press. You know how a printing press works? There's type that's in metal. And for the first time in history, you could take all the type and you put it on a page. And you take some ink, throw ink on it, and you put a sheet of paper on top of it. The printing press goes down and you have a, a page that's printed. What used to take hours now took seconds. Uh, printing press all basically the same, but some people made it really sing. You know, you can hand me a bat and a ball and it'd be embarrassing, but you can hand some superstar a bat and a ball and they'll make 30 million a year, right? Some people worked really good with printing presses, some people didn't. But Luther's genius, he was the first master of mass communication, and Luther probably was one of the first people to understand brand, name, brand. Now, what do I mean by name, brand? Okay, well, here we go. Can you guess some of these brands? Now, there's four up here that don't have names on them. I'm looking at four different symbols. Can you identify some of them? See the golden arches or what? And what's that black thing? Nike? Yeah, that's right. You see the, the green lady with sort of a crown. That's what? Starbucks. And on the far left side, there's a little red, white, and blue. And you'll drink what? All right, so you all understand that. So Luther really was the first person and his friends and his peers who understood mass communication and name branding. And here's the Luther brand. The Luther brand was a unique sort of type a printing press that, that produced very high-quality work, and people around Europe identified it. And so whenever you saw a book or a publication, you knew you were getting something very decent. And so Luther had a very unique brand that went on all of his publications, and it became very popular. And also the printing press made information really cheap and available. Just put the right print, uh, the right print type, and throw a sheet of paper on top of it and be able to mass-produce it uh, for the masses to have. But Luther's genius was also this. His genius was also this. 
is that he no longer debated with Roman Catholic scholars about minuscule matters in Latin. So Luther says he's going to change tactics. I'm not going to debate people in universities and monasteries over matters that nobody cares about. I'm going to take God's word in depth and convey it to the people in their language in well-written but brief theological essays and writings that became popular. So Luther would say that this, I have a sheet of paper. The printing press could print on both sides. I'd fold it up. I'd have a little booklet. The printing press would be able to make a decent uh, profit on it. It was inexpensive, and I took it to the people in their language. Well-written, uh, very informative theological topics that the people could understand. So Luther shifted tactics during the Reformation. I'm now going to take the truth to the people. Now, if you understood the Revolutionary War as, at, at all, our founding fathers also printed a lot of materials for its citizens to understand what the Revolutionary War was for. Sort of that idea. And so Luther was a big fan of taking theological truths and explaining them in a, in a really good way and giving it to the common people in their language. And we're going to see that theme throughout the Reformation. He's going to translate the Old Testament Hebrew and New Testament Greek into the Bible in people's language. And he's also going to give the church, and maybe many of you own this in your home, a small book called what? Luther's Small... Oh, good. Got that. Yes. Once again, so there's that theme. So Luther changed tactics. I'm now going to use a printing press with my name brand on it, very well written, uh, rather inexpensive for people, and yet the printing press gets to make its money. There's no middleman, and it blessed everyone. So we're going to talk about 1520 now. And the first thing that happened in 1520 uh, that Luther had dealt with is Serge Domini. Now what's Serge Domini? I'm not expecting anyone to know it, but if you do, you really have impressed me. Any guesses? Excommunication. Domini, dominance, surge, repulse. Okay, so excommunication. Luther was given 60 days to recant of his 95 theses. His 41 were found to be false or against the church, and Luther didn't. So he received a, a, a roll of paper that was called the papal bull, and in it he was excommunicated from the church. So I'll bring this up here. You can go ahead and read it. Um, and he didn't. So what Luther did is he took that, uh, he took the papal bull, and he does what a lot of people do in the fall. He had a bonfire, and he threw it in the fire. Because, by the way, when Luther was excommunicated, that was going to be his punishment. He's going to get burned at the stake. And he said, well, this disagrees with the word of God, so I'm throwing this into the fire. Now, this is a rather difficult topic, but I'll go ahead and I'll use this to stir your minds. What do you think about excommunication? I'm not wanting you to answer it. What about excommunicating members of the church who, who don't come to church and fellowship with the body? What about excommunicating a person who's, who publicly says they disagree with what the church teaches and professes? What about excommunicating someone who fellowships at a communion rail that doesn't hold to the same teachings that we do? What do you think about excommunication? It's a rather very difficult subject. But back then, it was taken very seriously. To be excommunicated from the church was a great offense. Now, I'm not going to answer those questions for you. But Luther, he's, he's excommunicated. How he deals with it, he says, well, this doesn't deal with the Word of God. I'm just going to throw it in the fire. So I now like to move to 1520 to three of his uh, classical theological writings, and I think you'll find blessings. Once again, the printing press, the Luther brand, quality work, and I'm now going to educate the people. So his, okay, 
Um, so his first one is here. You can see some of his classical writings. You can see the style he has. You can see that he has artist, uh, uh, an artist by the name of Chronic, uh, who does a really good job with, with uh, art, artistic blocks that can be printed as well. And people got to identify the, the, the quality of the work. And so that's in the German. I'm not going to try to translate it because I can't translate it myself, all right? But anyway, so let's go to the first one. Address to Christian Nobility. So Luther's first classical writing in 1520 is he asked secular leaders and he asked leaders in the community and leaders in the church to help out the church. So he addresses Christian nobility and he says this, a small printing urging Christian nobility and secular leaders to clean up the church, reform it back to the Bible and teach the Bible at all. The pastors are not well educated. The pastors don't know theology well. People are not being visited. People are not being taught. The sick and dying are not being visited. And the church is a mess. And so Luther asked Christian nobility and people with education, skills, and talents to come in and help the church. Now, it might seem odd to ask secular leaders to do it, but once again, uh, in Europe at that time, the church and state were what? Very closely allied. Um, the church and state worked together. As a matter of fact, in Germany today, their political districts were set up by the church. The church established the political districts that Germany used today. So Luther, out of care and concern for the church, says, I'm asking um, nobility. I'm asking people with talent, skills, and gifts. Uh, skips, skills and gifts. I'm asking princes and governors, and we can even say today, uh, uh, we can say uh, senators and congresspeople, come help the church. Get the churches organized. Teach children. Teach adults. Uh, have educated pastors. So the question for us is, are you willing to step up? If you see something that needs to be done, are you willing to step up? So that's what Luther does. He asks nobility, step up, help out the church. That's his first classical writing of 1520. Next classical writing of 1520 is called the Babylonian Captivity of the Church. Once again, same format, uh, theological writing that people get their hands on rather inexpensive uh, to the masses. Now, Luther plays in the Old Testament. Now, remember the Old Testament? Israel was taken captivity into what country? Babylon for the idolatry. And there they're held for 70 years. And so to Luther, the, the church is being held in captivity by some bad teachings. And so this is really a slap in the face to anyone who understands Old Testament theology. So Luther is saying the church is being held like in its own Babylonian captivity. Why? It's because Luther disagrees how the sacraments are being used. He says they're not being used according to Scripture. So the sacraments are what God does for us, not what we do for God. Baptism isn't something I do for God. It's something God does for me. The Lord's Supper isn't something you do for God. It's something that God does for you. And Luther says, for anyone who teaches contrary, is putting the church back into Babylonian captivity. So what are the sacraments? Well, holy baptism. Where water and the word, you and I are brought into relationship with Jesus. We are clothed with Christ's own righteousness. We're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Baptism now saves you. To be born again wants to be born again by water and the Spirit. And the Lord's Supper is what his body and blood given for you and I, that many of us will receive. Take, eat, given for you for the remission of sins. And so Luther, in the Babylonian captivity of the church, says there's two sacraments. And by the way, communicants are to receive both kinds. They receive both the body and the blood. And I don't care if they spill the blood. They're still, that's what Jesus said. You're going to take and eat 
the wafer, the body, the bread. You're going to take and drink the blood, the wine, both kinds for forgiveness of sins. So Luther was very insistent that through baptism and through the Lord's Supper, you and I sinners, lousy sinners, receive grace. That God works the blessing of the cross through baptism and through the Lord's Supper. So the question I have for you is, do you cherish the sacraments? When you see baptism, do you see yourself as being baptized into Christ's family? When you partake of the Lord's Supper, do you understand that you're receiving the gift of his salvation for you? So that's the second classical writing. And the third classical writing is called The Freedom of a Christian. And it's sort of like that as well. Uh, the title sort of fits its uh, description. So Luther was accused of being against good works. Well, you know, sometimes we can say we're saved, but we don't do good works to God or for God or for our neighbor. And so Luther got accused of, well, your brand of Christianity is against good works. And Luther says this, good works come from faith and we're not against good works. But good works don't save. Good works help my neighbor. We're not against good works, we're against the wrong use of good works. And so Luther uh, wrote this classical I'm writing, and in this he has a very uh, famous line. So, can you read it with me? A Christian is a perfect Lord, subject to none. A Christian is a perfect duty, full servant of all, subject to all. So, let me explain what that means. So, for us believers, we are freed in Christ, we're forgiven all our sins, the law no longer has bondage over us, we're free, heaven is our home, uh, there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, the Christian is a perfect Lord subject to none. I'm free. Christ forgave me. Heaven's my home. I'm in peace with God. God's in peace with me. That's true. But that doesn't mean that I now get to go live a selfish, sinful life. And so Luther then flips the coin and says this, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all and subject to all, even while we're free. Now we call that a paradox, but it's true. So you and I as Christians, while we're free from our sins... I'm now bound to love my neighbor and each other. So if my neighbor trash can blows in my yard, I'm bound to what? Now, if I see something wrong in my neighborhood, I'm bound by Christ's grace, not because I'm not going to be saved, but by his love for me to love others. We love because he what? First loved us. And so we, as believers, good works flow from us and we see ourselves as what can I do to help? How can I help somebody out? Or God has put me wherever I am, whether in school or the ball field, whether in church or my home, to be a blessing to others. I am a dutiful subject to all. What can I do to help others? So it gives me joy to hear when good works are being done in faith, like, like you heard about shop with a cop, or, or collecting clothes and, and coats for our preschool and our tiger's den, or we're, we're collecting packages for the military. That's what we need to be involved in. Not because we have to, but because of what Christ has done for us. Why? Because I'm now subject to all. What can I do to help and serve you? And so Luther, these three classical writings, and if you want to, you can read them. The Freedom of a Christian, let me back up a little bit. You have the Babylonian Captivity of the Church, and you have the Address to Christian Nobility. But I think there's something that Luther wrote that you all have in your home. And I mentioned it before. Very well written for you and I to be blessed. It's called Luther's Small. Yes, and that's there. Same principle. Written in language we could read to bless us, give us hope, 
Give us faith and know that we're redeemed in Christ. So the question is, do you see yourself as a person to be served? Are you here for people to do things for me, or am I here to serve others? Whether it's in the food pantry, where I'm helping out, whatever ministry, or I help out uh, loved ones and family and friends who need my assistance. And the blessing of great teachers. Christ our Lord, Luther, I'm not saying we're in the same category, but God has appointed po- apostles, prophets, and teachers. See some people you know up there? Okay. Can you be teachers to bring you truth, to make you, help you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? So how about this as a closing thought? Rabbi, we know you are a teacher that has come from God. So a son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.